Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the brand spanking new Canon with Ryan Hunt, founder and CEO at Rig Callout. Ryan, how you doing this morning, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This building is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for having me in here and showing me around. Yeah, no, no doubt. I've been recording here at the Canon, you know, originally back at the old one there when this was under construction and they've just done a fascinating job. And it's cool because it's, this is sort of, you know, new for our area and especially with oil, oil and gas to have this kind of incubator style you know, building with people and all these different companies. It's it's a neat environment. So if anyone in the Houston area has never been here, they want to come check it out and have a coffee with me, hit me up and I'd love to show you around. Before we get going, I just want to mention this episode's fueled by Perfect Keto. Whether you're on a keto diet or simply just looking for healthy snack alternatives and a resource for healthy eating, perfectketo.com offers it all. So Ryan, you didn't fly down here just for this, did you? I did. You did? I did. Wow. I am so honored right now because I when I saw you, your LinkedIn, I I saw St. Louis. Then you mentioned, you know, you're talking with, uh, you're, you went on Colin and Jake's podcast and you'd flew down, you know, super early and, and you, you know, did your thing. In my mind, I was like, wait, I, did he fly down here all the way for this? So hopefully this is a win for you. And so now I better be on my P's and Q's. So, so I always have a reason to be in Houston, Texas. Okay. This is the oil field. This is the mecca of oil and gas in the world. So right. I always have a reason to be here, but I Normally, I would come in town for the entire week and just make sales calls and visit with customers. But mm-hmm. I had to be in New York the first half of this week. And oh, wow. I figured that probably a good idea to go home for a day and, and hang out with the kids and the wife. And I'm and sure they jumped on a plane. Nice. Well, I'm sure they appreciate it. And a shout out to your family, the Hunt family, for letting you come down here and get behind the mic. I know as a founder and CEO, I'm sure you're traveling, you know, drumming up capital or whatever it is that CEOs do. I don't know. I've never been one. But nonetheless, you know, in New York, what part of New York were you in? Manhattan. Nice. So I went out there for a big venture capital summit. Okay. That is so cool. So tell like for the listeners who aren't really exposed to that kind of stuff, like just on a very high level, like what does that look like for you when you, you know, get, get up and you head out? to New York and you do that, what does that look like? So it's, there's probably two answers to that question. Okay. So you have the oil and gas founder going to either of the coasts and you have a, just a general consumer technology founder going to the coasts. Okay. So, you know, we all know that the coasts are very hesitant to our industry and what we do. Mm-hmm. And so those conversations very quickly shut down or people get very excited about it. People people understand that oil and gas is a very lucrative, archaic business. And for any venture capitalist, that's an opportunity. And so you you really have to spend a lot of time weeding out your and qualifying your capital provider. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of those conversations shut down really quickly. You see them kind of start looking at their phone and kind of distancing themselves and talking about, you know, green energy. And yeah. And I just I think this industry does not speak loud enough about how engaged it is right. in alternative energy. Because yeah. if it was viable, you know, it would be more, it would be out there more yeah. than it is right now. And and I don't think people realize the resources that this industry puts into those alternative energies. Sure. Would you say we're heading in the right direction though? Yeah. 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 Big time. So are you originally from St. Louis? Yeah. So I, I was born and raised in St. Louis. My dad's a horse 
veterinarian. Okay. And so I lived in Davis, California for about eight or nine years. Cool. Where's that? Davis is just, it's kind of a suburb of Sacramento, San Francisco. Cool. Northern California, different world from Southern. Yeah. So we do have rain up there and and clouds. (laughs) Nice, nice. And then moved back to St. Louis and, you know, went to high school in St. Louis, did some college in St. Louis, you know, just dabbled in different, different jobs and Mm -hmm. careers and, and then got into the oil field and, you know, we're distributing pipe for drilling rigs and pipelines and it sounded interesting it sounded neat yeah but getting into it and and seeing this whole world of energy but people you know it's not about price and it's not about you know marketing it's about relationships that you have and it's just it was really neat to get in and have these very unpolitically correct conversations with people. <laughs> yeah. And you could just be you. You know, you can talk about whatever you want. You, you know, the rule of sales is like you never talk religion and you never talk politics. Yeah. And like in oil and gas, that's generally all you talk about. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. With a little bit of sports sprinkled in yeah, there. Exactly. And yeah. So, you know, that is so funny. So true. It, it just fascinated me. I loved it. It was so much fun. And okay. the people were amazing. And then when I finally, you know, we, we were based in St. Louis and I would travel, you know, all over the country to any basin that we were at. I had, we had no territory. So mm-hmm. we just jumped on a plane wherever we needed to go. And yeah, and made calls and getting in front of them was was amazing. So the company that you were working for, they were based out of St. Louis? Yeah, so a little, little tidbit. Most of most of the steel and pipe that's in the oil field has a has a very robust history in St. Louis. Okay. So you had if I get these wrong, but you had Maverick Tube, which was out there, which became I think they were acquired by US Steel. Okay. You have Boomerang, which was the management team of Maverick. You have all these pipe companies that were around in the 70s and 80s that kind of split off. Labarge became, you know, down the road, MRC Global. And they've, they've since kind of pulled all their, all their offices out of St. Louis and moved them down to, to Houston or to Pittsburgh or to Denver. Gotcha. But, but you see a lot of oil field pipe companies in St. Louis still to this day. Okay. So that's interesting. You mentioned Pittsburgh. I, we talked a little bit before recording here and I mentioned I lived in Pittsburgh. And so you said St. Louis and Pittsburgh are very similar. Are they still like, what would you say the biggest driver in the, for the economy right now is in St. Louis? Is it still a finance. lot of that? Oh, it's in finance. Finance. Yeah. Interesting. So you've got okay. AG Edwards was headquartered there. Scott Trade, yeah. you know, which Wells Fargo now, AG Edwards. So mm-hmm. you've got a big hub there. Wow. But there's a lot of just asset management, a lot of finance, a lot of capital yeah. out there as well. Gotcha. Not private capital. It's all public market. Okay. So, you know, you, you, right, when you got into the oil field, you started off basically right into sales? Right into sales. Wow. And so we, how'd you get into that? Like, cause a lot of times in the oil field, the natural path is either you work in the field or you've got, you know, previous sales experience and you can leverage your network. So like, how did you, how were you, like, did you know somebody or like, how did that play out? Yeah. So so my wife, we've been married now 16 years. Oh, wow. Congrats. That's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. It's fun. It gets a lot funner the longer you're married. Okay. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I've been with my wife now since I was 19. So okay. however many years deep we are, it's, uh, it, it definitely gets interesting, but didn't mean to cut you off there. That's no, cool no, though. Good. So my wife's mom worked in the pipe business. She, mm. she worked at, at the company that I came from for 40 years. Oh, and, wow. You know, just... She talked about it a lot. My wife ranted about just in general the the amount of distraction because it's a 24-7 business. Finance in St. Louis is 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. 
no holidays, no weekends, you detach at five o'clock where the oil field and the conversations were, you're really kind of always connected no matter where you are. Yep. Vacations are taken in places where there is no cell phone reception because you've got to have that break. <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know, you can't go to Florida because your phones work there. You know, you can't go to Mexico because your phones work there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I distinctly remember one night having dinner with, with my mother-in-law and father-in-law and, you know, and this was middle of 08. And she was just talking about how the industry had just fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And, but she loved it. And, and she said, you know, Hey, our company hires during downturns because it's an opportune time to come in when it's slow, when things are kind of resettling and re recharging. Mm-hmm. And as things take off, you're kind of already in lockstep. You're not jumping onto a moving treadmill. Right. And she's like, you should go talk to the CEO. The CEO, you know, was, was at my wedding. So no you know, I, I knew of the guy, you know, I, I have him on video telling the videographer that our marriage would never work. We were way too young. No way. How old were you in at the time? 24. Okay. So Eh, not that bad for St. Louis. That's, that's normal. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) got it. My wife was 21 at the time, which is probably why he said that. Right. Right. Um, Hey, it obviously worked out. So great. Nice. So, you know, the company I came from tried and steel, you know, was very, you start and, and as a salesperson, you kind of come into any organization saying, I'll be your number one salesperson in six months. I got this, you know, I'm just, I'm going to kill it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember the VP of sales saying, yeah, no, it's, it's like learning Chinese. You know, if you can learn Chinese in six months, you'll do fine. But, you know, you got to give it a year before you really even have a concept of what you're doing. Sure. And, you know, you start there, they give you a computer and a phone and a bunch of accounts that don't buy anything that they sell. And, you know, it's all <laughs> like the junk that, nobody can get anywhere with and they say you know here go cut your teeth Mm. figure it out and you know you make a bunch of phone awkward phone calls and it was a very you know inside sales metric driven organization make 100 phone calls a day have you know phone time phone duration (laughs) all this you're under all this pressure to to make calls and you have no idea what to talk about and you know the oil field made it easy because it's very relational you know and they it's it's one of the few industries that people like to help they like to mentor mm-hmm. and you know so guys would guys would smell my greenness a mile away you know yeah. they'd be like, you don't know what you're doing do you and i'm like i have no idea yeah <laughs> just i sell a pipe tell yeah. me what you need i'll find it i'll figure it out here we go yeah and you know and, and the rest was really history and and i i just i really i really fell in love with it the first couple of years were really hard because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're doing the industry was in shambles i mean mm-hmm. i started in december of 08 yeah and you know at the time, you know, everybody was laying rigs down and just it, it made life really difficult. But yeah. as things started to recover, that was the time where, you know, I had a I had a good acumen of what I was doing. I had made some calls, I right. made some relationships. And when they did get rigs, that trend transitioned into sales. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that, because there's a lot of young folks out there that are in sales. Or thinking about getting into sales, but like, what was the biggest takeaway from going into an industry that was, you know, on the downturn, learning something new, s- trying to sell something that you really had not much, you know, to that you really had no m- knowledge or experience in? What did what, what did you learn from that, and how has that helped you now into what you do currently? You have to operate at a level of humbleness. Again, the oil field can smell a newbie a mile away, mm-hmm. you know, and it. When you try to BS your way through that, people smell it and they just, they run away from that. And so you you have to, 
you have to get rid of superficial conversation and say, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. you know, but I will find out, I will help, I will take care of this. And I remember during, I was probably the first year that I worked there, the CEO would, we would go into his office once a week and spend an hour or two cold calling. So I would sit at his desk with a second phone right there. You know, you're talking about a guy that's been in the business for 40 plus years, Yeah, knows everything about everything and pipe, I know nothing. Yeah. And you know, and you don't have a computer, so you you kind of go in and you you jot down on paper like, who am I going to call? Who are some of my softball calls? Who are some of my, you know, the tough calls, the cold calls, and and being put in those pressure situations, making yourself uncomfortable, mm-hmm. really allows you to grow. You For know, sure. and there, I mean, there were plenty of times where he reached over and hung the phone up and was like, you can't can't say that that's not true. I can't believe, you know, you're a moron, whatever it was. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of just a, you always knew where you stood with the guy. So I I appreciated that. Right. But it was also pretty, you know, demoralizing too, when you're in there and you got a guy on the phone and he's telling you about a drilling program and the CEO hangs up the phone, you know, and just like, (laughs) what do I do with this? Yeah. Here's the answer. And then call him back, you know, and, and I do remember my first sale was during those those calls. And, you know, it got to a point where I just, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know how to, to handle, you know, questioning. And he pulled the phone over and he, you know, he just said, Hey, you know, this is the CEO. Ryan's new. Can you tell? You know, the guy's (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Right. And he took over and, and kind of walked me through that process. So he was, he was like a football coach. His words were tough. Yeah. You know, the situations he put you in were high pressure. He'd throw you in a in a situation just to see how you you would react. Nice, and you grow from that. So if if there's anything that I can say to a young person getting in is get uncomfortable. Yeah, and like get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's like going to the gym. Yeah, yeah. You know it's funny. I, I use that, and it's kind of cliche. And, and and a lot of people they hear it, but it's so much easier to to think about that than to actually do it. You know, being you know comfortable with that sort of that uncomfort anxiety fear of what's going to happen if this, yeah. you know, if XYZ happens. And, you know, I, I learned that at an early age too. And, and what I'll say is a lot of the phone calls, like for me, when I'm exposed to a certain situation, you know, whether it's at the rig, dealing with a customer, having, you know, knowing maybe we did, we were at fault for something to, you know, be vulnerable enough and humble enough to go and say, look, here's a situation I take responsibility for it, which is always an uncomfortable situation. It's easier to point fingers than to just own up, nut up and be like, okay, you know, we, we messed up. But anytime I have that, like, kind of like not feeling in my stomach of like, I, I'm trying to rationalize why I shouldn't do it automatically. I'm like, nope, I need to pick up the phone and make that uncomfortable call. And nine out of 10 times, the outcome is far greater than what I ever expected it to be. Cause I always think of the worst case scenario but then it always ends up being 10 times greater. So it's like, if you can get over that uncomfortable hump, it's like, wow. And then you just become that much more confident, stronger, and just, you know, you're more comfortable with making those shitty conversations happen. (laughs) So I I like that answer because I can certainly identify and hopefully folks out there, you know, can either identify or know that, you know, when that feeling comes up, you know, it's like Ryan Holiday says, you know, the obstacle is the way. So, you know, it's he's an author who I've read a few of his books, but that's huge. And I think a lot of people don't embrace that enough or they at a young age, they figure out a way to dodge it. But then mm-hmm. once they 
kind of understand it's like okay adversity is what makes you grow you know if there's a wall knock it down it's going to suck getting through it but once you do you're going to be 10 times further ahead so I can certainly identify with you there. So fast forwarding a little bit, you go through that pipe sales, you know, and then you talk a little bit about the transition into where you're at now, because that's what I really want to talk about. Yeah, no. So I worked, I worked there for, I think at the, at the end of my time there, eight and a half, nine years. And, you know, I had just grown out of the role, you know, and it, for me, you know, we talked about this earlier in the conversation. It's just like, you get to a point of, of autopilot where, you just are kind of sitting there go, there's more to this. And, you know, oil and gas is 24-7, seven days a week. You, you really can't even detach on a vacation. And so it starts to pull on you. Yeah. And, you know, being married, having kids, having like having a life outside of work was, was tough. And, you know, just managing all that. My, again, my wife, so you think about like the stress of owning a company, my wife owns her own company as well. So, you know, she was growing in her company as well. And, you know, we were just sitting there thinking there's got to be a level of flexibility here, you know, for growth and just being uncomfortable when you get comfortable being uncomfortable (laughs) almost makes comfort seem like, (laughs) what am I doing? Like something's wrong. Right. There's There's a void. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. And, and I, and I was sitting there feeling this void. And, and so we made the decision to, to resign from Trident. I, I love the company. I love the people there. I, you know, I am so, so grateful for, for that, that period there. For sure. And I left, I left how I wanted to leave. I left as their, you know, number one salesperson, you know, and, and it was all on good terms. And, you know, I still, I still talk to the CEO to this day. Cool. And, but I left, I went to help my wife with her company. And that lasted about 90 days, you know, and it was just, you know, you're dealing with fortune 500 companies and, you know, just a very politically correct environment. And, and I just, I miss that relation, the relationships that you, you've, that I've acquired over the last, you know, nine or 10 years Mm -hmm. and, and the drilling rigs still call you, you know, they, they, those drilling progs pretty much stay the same through the entire year. Mm-hmm. And so guys would call me, Hey, I'm ready for my pipe. Can you ship it out? And it's like, Hey, you know, we had a conversation a month ago that I'm not your guy anymore. Yeah. And, but we'd still talk for 30, 40, 50 minutes on the phone mm-hmm. about what are you doing? What's going on? How's life? And I just, I just, I miss that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was really, I, I have to get back in the oil field. What do I do? And, you huh. know, and just having coffee with, with friends of mine, you know, it's like, well, what do you want to go back? to the company? Do you want to go work for a competitor? What do you want to do? How old were you at this point? 37, 38. And, you know, and, and the guys were like, okay, if you want to be in the oil field you don't want to go back to the pipe business, you, you start your own company, you know? So what's the biggest problem in the oil field? And I said, oh my gosh, it's delivering anything to a rig, not just pipe, but anything, Mm. you know, there's, it's such a process because you have you know, third-party contracted drivers, you know, you've got sometimes third-party trucking companies, you know, brokering loads out to another company and, you know, just sitting there asking yourself the question of like, why can't you find this truck? You know, Mm. I can tell you where my kids and my wife are in 10 seconds, anywhere in the world. Yeah. But you can't tell me where a million dollars worth of pipe is with an iPhone in the cab of the truck. That's such a silly problem. And it's... We experience that every day in the drilling fluid world. It it's it's crazy but the problem is is like again to all your young viewers oil and gas is so expensive 
when there's a late delivery or a problem, it's not five bucks, it's not 10 bucks. You know, these are tens of thousands of dollars, you know, basically being evaporated, mm-hmm. you know, into nowhere. And, and it was like, okay, this is the problem that I need to solve. And so, you know, I, I mean, I'm virtually unemployed at the time, you know, I was helping my wife here and there, but I just, I basically locked myself in an office and, you know, built up mock-up dashboards and, you know, customer journeys and what happens, what data do we need to see and look at to solve this problem. And then I printed it all out, jumped in my car, drove 2,500 miles around Oklahoma and Texas. And, you know, it was like, what do you think? What do you like? What do you not like? You know, is this valuable? And got back to St. Louis and said, okay, it's go time. Had wow. no, no investor network. I had no, no nothing. You hmm. know, I'm, I'm a pipe guy. Yeah. Not a tech guy. Did you, like, growing up, you said your dad was a vet, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you really, were you surrounded or influenced by entrepreneurship at all? My dad was self-employed, but my dad, so if you think about as a parent, you tell your kids, do what you love. Right. Like, and then, and then they go to high school and college and they watch YouTube videos and like, I want to, you know, I want a Lamborghini and a, you know, a beach house. And it's like, okay, guys. Yeah. <laughs> let's right size your expectations here. Yeah. But my dad, you know, my dad was an A&M grad, you know, grew up in Wimberley, Texas oh, no way. and loved horses. And cool. he just said, how can I make money doing something I love? And so he went to vet school, met my mom, became a vet mm-hmm. and just drives around all over Missouri, you know, treating horses. And, yeah. and so being an entrepreneur kind of in control of doing what you love, I was surrounded by that, but I was okay. not surrounded by, you know, the, the Silicon Valley tech billionaires. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. Cause right now, yeah. any the buzzword entrepreneurship is you, most of the times you right away think of like all these tech startups, right? Like, right. you know, you, right. these guys making money off their phones and right. stuff like that. But yeah, like, you know, the, the, the golden era of entrepreneurship, you know, back in the day was full, you know, old, like, parents like yourself and then my parents included my old man we, he owned a custom furniture building business so yeah i was in the shop you know saturdays and sundays at six o'clock when i'd party till five and you know with my buddies <laughs> and going right from the house party to sweeping up the shop and you know making cabinets and, and custom furniture so i can yeah, yeah but seeing that too the control and then you know as a family for us you know as my because my parents owned it you know we could take vacations or they, they had control and growing up i didn't really realize I couldn't differentiate between corporate Canada, I guess, because being up there and and then, you know, owning your own business. And I just thought that was normal. And so it's something I've even struggled with growing up, you know, in, in working for someone else. And I'm extremely fortunate to work for a company where they don't micromanage. I, for the most part, get to make my own schedule, call on the customers I want to call. But I guess, you know, in saying that, that's what I was curious about is because a lot of times people like yourselves that do, you know, are successful in the entrepreneurial space had some sort of influence or, you know, were were surrounded by it a little bit. And so that's, that's kind of where I was question was, but so, you know, you're, you're ripping around, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, you figure out that, okay, there may be a solution to some problems that not only I face, but everyone else. So how did you actually get, you know, from that point to, you know, obviously making a company of it. So I'd made, I'd made a number of contacts just in, in, you know, as you, as you think about, you know, tech, you it's, you know, every founder is like under this like anxiety stricken fear of like, if I tell somebody what I want to do, they're going to steal it. You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's the silliest thing in the world to, to be concerned about. But, 
you know, I'd, I'd met a patent attorney on a mission trip in Guatemala and, you know, we had, we had just talked general patent law and, you know, what does that look like? And it's just, to me, it's a fascinating topic when we have countries hmm. like China and all these things and, and our, our relationship kind of just started, you know, in a seven hour bus ride. And you're just talking about, you know, my wife is self-employed. So talking about patents for her company and, mm-hmm. and just how do you, how do you protect products and ideas when you have places, you know, like China that, you know, they just kind of do whatever they want. Or, you know, think of an oil field product in the Middle East. I mean, is the Middle East going to protect, you know, their state-owned oil company, right? you know, from an idea or a concept? And just, it, w- it was fascinating. I'm just, I'm a constant learner. I'm super curious about everything. And cool. And we talked and, and when the idea came, you know, I started talking to him about patents for the idea showing him our wireframes and he introduced me to a network of angels and you so know, what are what are angels for folks that don't know what that is so angels are high net worth accredited investors so these are private investors you know that they'll they'll put capital into an idea and if the idea pans out obviously they make money but these people put you know money in many investments and it's not institutional managed capital this is somebody's personal net worth that so they're the, investing in companies Folks that got a bunch of money that'll cut you a check and hope for the best. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. Okay. They have to believe in you. At that right. At that point for us, it was an idea. And it was also, you know, does this person intimately know the problem? Do they do they have a good idea or concept of the solution? And can you kind of wrap a business model around that and make money? And if if the business model is there, you have the energy, you know, it's 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 not easy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they generally yeah, go, go for it. Right. Give it a shot. Interesting. So, so then tell us, I mean, so how's it been and, and where are you guys at now with regards to rig call out? So the road, the road trip and, and that process started between June and September of 2017. Mm-hmm. We had funding wrapped up by December of 17. We were coding in December of 17. Wow. We had a field test ready product in June of 18. We gave it to a number of companies to just go try it for free. Give it a shot. Tell us what you tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. What do you like? What do you not like? How can we make it better? We wrapped it up. We commercially launched in December of 18. Okay. Because a customer said we're ready to pay for it. We want it. And we've taken customers every month since. Wow. And it's been, I mean, it's just been, it's been an exciting journey because we have people now like Chevron and the majors calling and saying, we have these challenges in our supply chain and we need this, okay. this problem solved. So we've kind of touched a little bit about it, but like, tell us what is rig call out and, and kind of d- describe a typical scope of work that you guys would be involved with. So rig call out is, is a kind of first of its kind technology. So what we do is we, we layer visibility around the last miles of delivery. Okay. So any good or service or equipment being delivered out to a rig site or a right of way or, you know, over to Port Fushan, we give total visibility to a company's entire network. So we're not, we're not a marketplace. We're not saying, you know, if you want this visibility, you have to buy from these people. We, we come into a company and we say, you know, put our product into your supply chain and you know where your trucks are, you know, what they're doing, you know, what's on those loads. We, you know, we do digital documents. So mm. we get companies paid faster. Yeah. You know, we get rid of paper and we do that seamlessly. So we allow a com- we would allow a company 
like a major to come in and bring all of their vendors in, all of the transportation companies that support their business in one step. Okay. So we don't we don't have our own network of people that you're required to use. You can just bring in your existing network. Interesting, because that was going to be my question, and and the reason this piques a lot of interest for me is, you know, in the drilling fluids world, you know, we have a you know central facility. Let's just use West Texas for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a warehouse where we've got a handful of our own trucks, but for the most part, we use third party trucks. But you know, mud engineer at the rig calls, hey, I need barite, you know, by three o'clock, you know, tomorrow. And next thing you know, it's, you know, 4.15, 4.30, 5 o'clock. He's calling dispatcher at the warehouse. He's, he or she's trying to call and figure out, well, where's this truck? Because the coming man's on their ass saying, hey, you said a truck was going to show up at 3 o'clock. And a lot of times on West X, you don't have cell phone service. So you have, there's this, this like this blank slate of like time. You're like, well, where was the truck? Because it showed up here and it's not here yet. You know, it's only supposed to take this long. Well, did they get in a traffic jam? Well, you know, come to, and then all of a sudden you, you get billed and it's like, you know, all these hours of standby. It's like, well, I know that the truck wasn't there. So there's just always this uncertainty. So like, to me, that would like help eliminate a lot of those uncertainties and keep a lot of transparency with what's going on. Is that, does that kind of, is that what goes, you're offering a little bit or cause like literally <laughs> that is, that's a problem that we have every day. That's exactly the problem that we solve. And that's, that's crazy. You know, I just, when, when I was in the pipe business, you know, it was, Every morning you you have these routines that you do and it's, you know, you, I think pipe companies and, and most suppliers, and I don't want to just stay in pipe because we're really everything, mm-hmm. but, you know, most companies are, are moving from I'm a pipe company to I'm a service company or I'm a value add provider because, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting a generation of people into the oil field who don't care really where it comes from. Like, a 20 year old kid out of engineering school doesn't really care about China. You know, they don't really care about Korea or some of these other countries. It's like, I need value. I need service. I don't want to be bothered in the middle of the night. You know, I don't want a hundred thousand phone calls. I just take care of it. Mm -hmm. You know, keep me out of the hot seat. Yeah. And, and so companies are transitioning to this value add service, which is like, we give you all the visibility you need to make real decisions. Yep. And you know, my, my time was, you come in in the morning, you call all your trucking companies, where are my trucks at? Are they at the yards? Are they getting loaded? Are they en route? You know, is anybody late? Are they all at the meeting spot? Are they all on the right of ways getting strung out? You know, what, mm. what's going on? And then communicating that information to my customers and that visibility helped me through a lot of the downturns because it was like, hey, I've got all this visibility when I work with Ryan, but when I go with somebody else, I'm totally blind. I'm making a thousand phone calls. I don't know where anything's at. Yeah. And and that's great. The problem was I'm a sales guy. And if I'm spending 60% of my day on the phone updating customers about truck locations and updates, that's 60% of my day that I'm not selling. Yep. Which is my job. As a sales guy, I want commissions. You know, yeah. I want revenue. I want new customers. And I didn't have time to do that. And so crazy. Just thinking about the problem in general, it's it's really not a, a challenging issue it's just how can you communicate that visibility to a customer seamlessly quickly how do i glance at a dashboard and know everything that's going on without you know having to go through a bunch of spreadsheets and you know is the data correct yeah you know what what am i looking at so logistically how does that work and by that i mean do you have like trackers inside of trucks or like what what is like how does it how is the information handled like how does that work so we have a number of ways that we we track so right now we've got an ios and an android app 
that we install in a driver's phone okay. or on a company provided tablet. And we track that and communicate with that. It's a two-way communication. So the drivers can communicate into our platform, thus into the supply chain. Okay. I've got a flat tire. I've got a problem. Gotcha. Here's what's going on. Everybody knows no phone calls, no emails, no anything. Okay. Plus, you know where they're at because we're tracking their location. Even in areas, remote areas that don't have cell phone service? Or? So, so we cache all that data. So even if they drive through a cell service area, it will, it will upload to, to our servers all that information. Okay. But last year, we signed a deal with a satellite company. Cool. So we can have satellite communications as well. Very cool. In, and interesting, you mentioned satellite. So I was at Oilcom last week, and yeah. it's a technology oil field conference. And I would say like every third booth was satellite and communications companies. And it was just like, I, I, it just boggles me that we can fly to the moon but we don't have cell phone service in West Texas. Like it just absolutely, (laughs) like I'm mind blown by that. So hopefully you found someone that can give you service out in West Texas. They're doing a great job there. (laughs) Our our customers that are in West Texas tell us that it's getting better and better and better. Okay. I think, you know, you know, I've talked to to oil and gas companies that basically buy cell towers and put them out on their lease coverage. And so- if there's one thing about oil and gas is that it's a resourceful industry. And if there's a problem, it's going to get solved. Oh yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I, that's what I love about it. I mean, you know, the middle East and OPEC can attack us and, you know, say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to crush your industry. And, you know, they crush a couple of companies, but a couple more show up and say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got it. We're, we're, we can make money at this and yeah. we're good to go. Yeah, no, it's, you're exactly <laughs> right. So from the time you landed your first job or, you know, your first sale with rig call out to, to where you're at now, what are some of the challenges that you've faced and, and are, is there a lot of resistance when you go make sales calls or like what's some of the sort of resistance that you're facing or what's the biggest limiter right now for you guys? Really the biggest limiter is what do we actually do? You know, it, it, again, you know, we talked about this earlier, who buys your pipe? You know, I need pipe. I call a pipe company. Sure. You know, and, and so what we do is never existed in oil and gas in the oil field. And so, you know, to try to communicate to a rig supervisor that they'll never have to make another phone call to find a truck ever again, sometimes is too much. It's mm-hmm. almost like I don't believe it. Right. And so communicating what we do. And so our customers are the entire supply chain, the operators, the midstream companies, the service and supply companies and the trucking companies. Okay. And so our message can't just be directed at a rig supervisor. It has to be directed to all of these different customer verticals and their own language. Mm -hmm. You know, a supplier is going to call an oil and gas company an end user, you know, a trucking company is going to call an operator, a truck driver. And so trying to, trying to get on a website, you know, and communicate this big, broad message with like many different languages and terms is really tough. And so, you know, we've gone into meetings where, you know, we've been trying to call them for a year and it's just crickets and crickets. Mm. And, you know, we finally get in. I had a meeting a couple a couple of weeks ago in Denver and, you know, I sat down with the president and two minutes into the to our demo, he's like, stop, stop. You know, he just said, I've known about you guys for a year. We had a salesperson that heard about you and told us that you were a trucking company that tracked trucks with satellites and I don't need another trucking company. And this is definitely not what you do. And so basically I'm a year behind because I thought you were something that you were not. 
Yeah. This is the problem I need solved. And this is the product I need in my company. Get us a contract. And so just situations like that, like that's why we do podcasts. That's why we hammer social media so hard. Yes. Is because we have to get this message out at scale that this is the problem we solve. This is what our company does. Right. So what kind of things are you guys doing on the marketing space? I mean, you mentioned like, you know, social media platforms and getting on podcasts. And is there anything else that you guys are doing that is is helping you kind of drive scale? So our, our marketing group is amazing. So we, you know, we thought very early on, you know, we, we just need to, we need to bring this to light and let's make it fun. Like nobody wants to go on social media and hear, Hey, if you have a late truck, it's going to cost you 10,000 bucks, you know, Mm -hmm. while your investors are coming down on you about cost overruns. It's like, Social media positively does really well, but mm-hmm. when you when you're you know spewing you know oh the rig count just dropped by twenty rigs nobody wants to read that stuff yeah it's like yeah. I hear about it I know about it I want to bury my head in the sand make <laughs> it go away right and so we just we really you know she has done a very good job of you know poking humor at the problem and just saying if you're a truck driver this is what your life looks like before rig callout and after rig callout if you were a you know, a, a pipe salesman, this is what your life looks like before and after, like, this is what vacations, you know, look like before, you know, mm-hmm. before rig call out and after rig call out. And actually some of our most engaged posts are us using rig call out out on just real life situations. So, you know, I take a GoPro and I take a picture of, you know, me using rig call out on an airplane, you know, and then like 10 times the viewership than any of our other posts. Nice. You know, my marketing girl just got back from Jamaica and she took a picture of, you know, her using rig call out on the beach in Jamaica. And that was a huge post yeah. viewership for us. And so I love it. I think it resonates well with people to say like, you know, hey, you know, while these problems still occur in the oil field and while you still kind of get dragged into the office while you're on the beach, we allow you to do it without making any phone any you know, any $5 a minute phone calls or without the distraction of getting on the phone and trying to do this in a very time consuming manner where you can automate it and do it without a single phone call or. Yeah. No kidding. That is super neat. Do things like AI and and big data analytics play a role within inside your company? They will. We take the approach that rig call it is like a formula one car, you know, it just, we want to start in first gear, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot that it can do. And it's, it's innovative, it's, it's a very robust enterprise product. But if we were to jump out into the market in seventh gear, I think it would be, it would be data fatigue yeah. for a lot of people. And so we've got the car in first gear right now, let's get people on the system, let's get them adopted, and then we will enhance things. Cool. You know, AI, machine learning, mm-hmm. you know, blockchain is the big question in transportation, is it? Ah, okay. Is it valuable if you can go if you can't go in there and change the data, which you know we all know in the oil field. <laughs> yeah, your trucks People will be like halfway to, to location, and it's like up, oh, turn them around, dry yeah. hole, we're out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it, massaging data is 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 quite popular amongst the oil field, or it has been, you know, historically. Where do you see rig callout in? You know, we talk about you being in first gear, but ultimately you know what's the end goal or not or even like where do you see it in five years or even 10 years and maybe not necessarily just rig call out but transportation and tracking i mean what does the future look like we really want to we want to own the last mile of the oil field and we want to do that through the supply chain Mm -hmm. you know and that that is that is any number of things it's thinking about you know if 
if we're buying equipment overseas and we want to track that equipment being loaded onto a vessel and that vessel going through the Pacific Ocean to the Panama Canal into the Houston Ship Channel, you know, and then direct discharge off of those vessels into processing yards, you know, and then out to a rig. And then when we don't need it anymore on the rig and getting it back in, it's it's providing a level of visibility around this entire supply chain because wow. it is almost a global economy. I mean, we're getting yeah. calls from from operators overseas. You know, it's it's not confined to to the United States. It's I mean, yeah. you're, you're never going to solve the problem of a late truck. I mean, until we can teleport, yeah. you know, equipment out to location, which I I don't know that solution anywhere right now. But <laughs> yeah, it's about visibility. It's about stopping the the twenty minutes to death phone calls. Yeah, your truck's twenty minutes away. It's twenty minutes away, and when in reality, they just they have no idea. Yeah, no, it's that's common for sure. So, one question I was going to ask you too, like obviously this application could be used in other industries. Are you guys looking to kind of branch out, or are you really just trying to focus in on energy or oil and gas? We can branch out. I love the oil field. Yeah, it's but it's it's also it it's an industry that is in such desperate need of technology, and that's why you mm-hmm. see this explosion of of tech everywhere is because you could take a hundred of the Silicon Valley's finest, you know, and and just say, Hey, go solve problems. And nobody would ever step on anybody's toes because there's just so much to, to just kind of bring into the, the current times and, and look, and I love the oil field. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's such a, it's such a huge pie, right? Like it's not like you're going to capitalize on a few accounts and all of a sudden you're tapped out and you're like, Oh, what now? It's like, there's just so many, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies and there's trucks flying around this country every day. So yeah, I, but it was, I was just curious cause I'm just, I'd imagine the problem isn't just our industry, but you know, who knows, maybe one day you guys will be like all over the place and every industry possible, which would be super cool. Kind of more some moving on to more, it's like the personal side, you know, being a CEO, it, it has a lot of swag to it you know like everyone wants to be ceo and you know founder and it, it has that buzz what would you say the the hardest thing about being a ceo is and having all everything on your shoulder is what you know is, is that a hard space to be in or do you thrive with that it is a hard space i mean i think that the media you know fantasizes what that life is like mm-hmm. you know you if you watch tv you know it's some guy in jeans and a t-shirt, you know, running around the office with, you know, custom coffee blends and, you know, just like everybody's playing ping pong and, you know, just having fun. Yeah. And and really entrepreneurship is a grind. It's really hard work and, you know, if if you if you are the something of something, it's generally not as challenging because you're copying another roadmap. Right. Whereas when you're when you're innovating and you're doing something completely different, it's a lot more challenging because you have to create the brand awareness. You know, you have to be a good communicator. You have to be able to communicate what do you do and what is the problem. And in the venture summit that I was at earlier this week is, can you can you answer any question in ten words or less? You know that like that's the space that we live in. Is as mm. you have people's attention span is like three seconds. Yeah, and huh. it, it it's a huge weight. I, I just I I don't think that that the media or the world encapsulates what, what entrepreneurship really is. And it's, it's hard work. Yeah. And it's like, you see those, like those picture graphs of the life of an entrepreneur, which is like (laughs) day one, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. And day two is like, Whoa, why did I do this? Yeah. Day three is like, this is the greatest thing ever. And day four, you're like, Whoa. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. 
and that's that's really what it's like it's very you know it's a it's a roller coaster of emotions and yeah and i think being being in oil and gas and being with the company that i worked at before you know having a wife that's a you know an entrepreneur just kind of prepares you for that you know we always we always say as a husband and wife you know we signed up for this yeah I, I think i was on an airplane half the year three half the year last year wow you know, it's probably going to be you know a little bit more this year and so as long as you signed up for it and you know you you're a good communicator within your family it's right it's not as bad i'm not i'm not a college kid in a dorm room with, <laughs> i hear you with the trust fund to fall back on so hey me and you both brothers <laughs> speaking of family how important is it to have support at home for it's you a, it's everything yeah it's everything if 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 the household is strong if the marriage is strong you can you can pretty much endure anything mm-hmm. yeah no i i can identify my wife and i we uh when we met, I was working drilling rigs. So I was, and, and at the time working for precision drilling, we were a rig that only had two crews. And so in Canada, you you drill your ass off through the wintertime and then spring breakup comes, you have maybe a couple months off and you drill a bit in the summer and then you're back at it for the winter, you know, in six to eight months of just, you know, drill, drill, drill. So anyway, I say that to say anytime, you know, we would meet and then I'd be like, all right, I'm going back to the rig. I wouldn't know when I was going back. Well, then, you know, followed that up by getting into a position and then ended up moving to the States. And so our relationship was built on me never being home. So like mm-hmm. the communication was really like the foundation of our relationship, which helped me a lot just always being away. But the one thing she always was, it was extremely supportive. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I was working downtown Calgary and uh, they offered me a position in Pittsburgh. And, you know, and my wife, we weren't married at the time. We were, I think we were engaged perhaps but and we were actually yeah we were we were engaged and we were building a brand new home in calgary and before even consulting with her i accepted the job in pittsburgh and i (laughs) called her and i said hey just so you know we're going to pittsburgh and you know i accepted a role down there in the states and she was like did you forget we're building a house right now it's like halfway done and i said well we'll just put it on the market before it's even done being built and as long as we break even it's a win and like the fact that she didn't break up with me right then and there and stuck with it and supported me i was like okay you can ride this out with me like you you know ride or die you're the one and so you know she wasn't too happy about it because she loved the home and we designed you know things whatever but it it ended up working out and and the support that she's always had for me and I, i drug her to pennsylvania you know and then down to texas and up to denver and back down but she's always been there for me and always help me celebrate, you know, my wins. And I'm excited to be able to deliver that back to her. You know, she's a stay at home mom now and she's doing a fantastic job of it. But she, you know, she was in oil and gas before that and very career driven, doing extremely well downtown Calgary, working for CNRL. And, you know, I pulled her away from that. You know, I say I wouldn't pull her away. You know, we both decided that, you know, pursuing my career would be the choice. And, you know, she would just accept it and, and you know, find purpose in other things. But, you know, she now she's at a point where she's like, you know, you've you've had your fun. You've done your career. You know, it's and, you know, I'm looking forward to my turn. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to be that supportive husband. If, if she wants to go here and go there and do whatever, it's like, you know, go for it. But. You're right. I mean, if, if if you've got a solid foundation at home, you've got the support from your family, your your kids, your wife, the opportunities are endless because that added stress of being at home with maybe not a, like a great environment, it just tears people down. It's either like 
you see entrepreneurs and CEOs and people that have made it either have like the best marriage and like just a quality life or they're divorced and they're on their own and they're like, F everybody else, I'm doing this. Yeah. So no, I, I love hearing the fact that you, you know, you stuck it out, your wife stuck it out with you got you know, with you and doing your thing. So big shout out to you and your family. You know, we're getting close to an hour here. I just wanted to follow up with a couple of other questions. Do you have any daily routines or habits that that keep you focused and motivated to just keep grinding every single day, whether it's you know, wake up and have five cups of coffee or do, do you have any like there quirky that. things that, that kind of like get you going? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, back in, back in the, the pipe days, you know, a big runner. So, okay. you know, I did Ironman races, triathlons, oh, no running, cool. and, you know, and, and I think that's, that's a period of time where I learned, I learned the importance of discipline and routine, mm-hmm. you know, working, working in oil and gas, which is not, simple by itself, but also training for an Ironman. And, you know, and I had gone back to school to finish my degree in that same year. This was 2013 and 14, you know, which was hundred and some odd, some odd dollar oil. We had yeah. crazy amount of rigs. I don't even remember the rig count, but yeah, you know, it, it, it was very busy and, you know, those habits and those disciplines have kind of transitioned a little bit less just because of the workload that I have right now, just of course. with running a company with a startup, you wear 10 hats. You don't just sell something, mm. you know, you're selling, you're doing accounting, you're doing finance, you're planning, you're talking to investors, you know, you're managing, you're selling, you're supporting, you're doing yeah. a million things. And so, <laughs> you know, I'd say, you know, coffee is, is my, my daily routine. Yeah. That's the one thing I do every day. It's coffee, but nice. Well, I, yeah. And, and he's definitely not lying. I, I had my cup, you know, a few cups already this morning and then we come in here to the can and I offer him coffee and he, you know, politely says yes. And, and he looked at me like I was crazy when I said I was probably going to pass on a cup of coffee. Like I almost insulted you. So <laughs> of course, I mean, twist my rubber arm like you know it's not a shot of whiskey or anything but you know i ended up having a cup of coffee with you so i'm glad that we were able to partake here this has been good one last question i have is is what's something about yourself that not many people know about and it doesn't have to be anything weird but do you have any other than hot you know you've got the you know you said you're a running hobby do you have any other kind of unique things about yourself that that you know a typical ceo might not have or do so what a lot of people don't know maybe they know maybe they don't but our family are like rabid Formula One fans. No way. So, you know, I I started watching Formula One when my kids were little, you know, and you're up all night long, you know, feeding (laughs) kids and dealing with crying babies and (laughs) and all that. And, and, you know, the races before like TiVo, you know, they're like 2.30 in the morning. So it's like, well, what do you do at 2.30 in the morning? Is like, I watch Formula One race while my my kid eats and (laughs) falls asleep. And, you know, fell in love with it. My wife started falling in love with it, you know, and now my kids watch it. But like, you know, we we joke that not many people know, but we were a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were watching a race and and our guy won the race and she jumped up out of the couch and like pulled a muscle in the back of her neck. And so she got an injury watching Formula One. And, you know, just even even in our friend group, you know, it's like, you know, where's your wife today? And I'm like, oh, she's she's at home and she got an injury. You know, it's like doing what? Cheering for her favorite car driver. You know, it just, 
that's a story that I'll tell everybody because yeah. it's like, you know, no, you didn't slip in the bathtub. You know, no, you didn't twist your ankle running. You yeah. Know, you're a sports fan. Nice. And nice. So. She's committed, obviously. So do you ever get to drive? Have you ever driven or like, have you ever gotten on the track and messed around or what? No, just on my, my son's PlayStation. Okay. That's about as close <laughs> as I've gotten so far. <laughs> That's the safer route for sure. It is. Awesome. Well, look, I appreciate that. A few more things to close out. I want to take a few moments to tell everyone about our upcoming events. Hey guys, Alex here with the events on deck for December. We'll be having two OGGN happy hours to kick off 2020. One will be in January in Houston. We have not announced the date yet, but we'll get back with you guys soon on that. And we will be having our first happy hour in Pittsburgh in February 2020, also with the date coming soon. So stay tuned on those. Upcoming events include the Bells of Houston, a masquerade, unmasking the stigma of PTSD. This will take place on December 5th in Houston. The Latin America Oil and Gas Summit is December 5th and 6th in Uruguay. The API Energy Houston Chapter General Meeting will be held on December 11th, 2019 in Houston. The Wildcatters Ball is taking place on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. And lastly, the IPAA Leaders Industry Luncheon will be held on December 11th in Houston. That's all of the events for this month, guys. Be sure to tune in at the beginning of January to see what's happening then. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone out there in the Houston area, if you're interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over the winter and you're here in the Houston area, visit KTX Fit and Katie Texas and we'll get you a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Thanks again for listening to Oil and Gas on Shore. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and leave a review. Or just hit me up on LinkedIn and share some ideas or thoughts or any, you know, any feedback is welcome appreciated. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed our time today. Thanks for flying down here and coming on the podcast. I'll do everything I can to make sure it gets in, in many as many phones and iTunes and Spotify as it possibly can to hopefully make it a win for you. So what's the best way for people to reach out to either yourself or any of your sales folks? You know, can we put your website and LinkedIn links in the show notes or what? Absolutely. So you can find us at rigcallout.com. Okay. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. I think, cool. I think we're on Facebook. Very cool. You need to get on TikTok. That's the new thing. My son watches that like every day. And yeah. like, what, what is TikTok? I, I just I just made myself old. Yeah, <laughs> it's the next best thing. They're, they're saying it's going to be, it's what Instagram was back in 2010, 2011. So if you get on it now, and the thing is, is like all the kids are watching it, but then, you know, similar like your dad or like people's dads are watching it and be like, oh, what's this rig call out? I better check them out. So first to market, man, get on TikTok. We're on it. <laughs> nice. It'll be the first phone call I make when I get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. And again, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, folks. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil and Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 